0: Hey everyone, it's Jacqueline Melanick. Welcome to Chain Reaction, a show that unpacks and dives deep into the latest trends, drama and news with some of the biggest names in crypto, breaking things down block by block for the crypto curious. Today, we're joined by two guests, Jing Wang and Ryan Wyatt from Optimism, a layer two blockchain that allows developers to build and deploy dApps or decentralized apps onto Ethereum without having to worry about scalability. Ryan recently joined the team as a chief growth officer. Before taking on this new role, he had a little bit of a break, but was the president of Polygon. And he came on our podcast about a year ago to talk about it. And before that, he was YouTube's head of gaming. While at Polygon, he was helpful at getting some big brand partnerships with companies like Starbucks, Nike, and Reddit. And in his new role at Optimism, he's hoping to scale its adoption, but maybe in a different twist. We'll find out. And the one person who is really counting on this is probably our other guest, Jing, who is the CEO and co-founder of Optimism. With all of that said, Jing and Ryan, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having us.
2: Thanks for having us here.
0: Yeah. So to start off, I love asking our guests if you could tell us about someone that you've met in crypto, maybe in the past 12 months that has inspired you and what did you learn from them?
2: I mean, definitely Ryan, which is why we worked so hard to get him on the team. Yeah, it's crazy. (laughs) Like, yeah, you know, explaining really convoluted, complicated protocol technology to any audience is definitely a difficult thing to do. Ryan has done that expertly at sort of all layers of understanding from the end consumer to other big name teams to other protocol engineers and applications. Also,
1: Jing is mine, but in the effort to not <laughs> to not do this to you, Jacqueline and you want some more no, spice, you want a spicier, <laughs> more fun take. I was fortunate enough to get to spend some time for the first time in my life with Anatoly and Raj, and I'm going to just throw it out there—they were great. It's helpful to have an alternative insight to the way we think about things at Ethereum and inside of the Ethereum mm-hmm. ecosystem, and. Although we might disagree on things from a technical perspective, great to have good founders in the ecosystem. And, and it was the first time I've gotten to really chat with them. So uh, I met them, you know, before, but got to spend some time with them this last week at a summit where we both happened to be. And so, yeah, I want to give those guys some kudos.
0: Okay. Anatoly and Raj, who are the co-founders of Solana for our listeners who don't know that. And see, Jane, look, I got, yeah. <laughs> look,
1: Jen gave you one. I gave you the more spicy fun take. Okay.
0: Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And honestly, I yeah. think that was sweet. I think it was sweet you gave it to Ryan, so I'll take it this time. And I briefly (laughs) introed Optimism, and as many of our listeners might know about it, can you give us just the elevator pitching?
2: Yeah, just as Amazon is a serverless backend for Web2 applications, Optimism is the decentralized serverless backend for Web3 applications. Okay,
0: why build a Layer 2 for Ethereum? I know that it's a little expensive, it could be slow, not very scalable. But why do we need optimism to help scale it?
2: Yeah, well, for all of the reasons you stated, in 2017, when CryptoKitties, one of the first sort of viral crypto applications, took the world by storm, the cost to interact with the CryptoKitties application exceeded the cost of a kitty itself. And also, when you have like fees that are that high, also that unpredictable, it really inhibits things like mass adoption, or even industry-wide adoption. So definitely a scaling solution is needed. We wanted to scale Ethereum because I think Ethereum stays the most close to the original decentralization values. And we wanted to give it a go, staying close to those same values. And then you
0: kind of mentioned this in the beginning, Ryan, I think maybe in the past I've had you explain roll-ups to us, but can you give us a refresher for this episode about how Optimism's roll-ups work and how they can help users save money or just transact on Ethereum's blockchain?
1: Yeah. I mean, look, I think the one thing that we've, we as an industry have started to realize is that you need a lot of L2s to scale. And so then the problem with that is you understand the concept of. Look, Ethereum has to be, it will always have to be really secure. And with that will come a cost that is steep, that is not really viable for a vast majority of the ecosystem. So once you're like, good, I've checked that box off. How do we solve it? Okay, well, you need to scale. When you scale and have an L2, it still will run into congestion issues and success, right? As developers come on, you'll have fluctuating Gas prices, therefore, like transaction costs fluctuate. That also isn't really a viable solution for a lot of app developers. You know, some it might work, but generally people and users want some kind of consistent experience. So what does that mean? You start to launch a lot of L2s. Well, that now naturally fragments the audience and the user base. It complicates the user journey. You're like, what protocol am I connected to? How do I move my money from each one to each one? And so it poses a very significant problem for users and developers by fracturing all of these ecosystems. And so what Superchain does is offer a path for interoperability where you no longer have to make those choices anymore. That You can have a lot of L2s that exist, but they actually are all talking to each other. So from a user perspective, you don't need to worry what you're connected to. You are connected inside of this ecosystem They're all talking with each other. And so that is ultimately what optimism is striving for and aiming for. And so when you look at a partner, you know, developer like base, right, base is on the OP stack. You don't need to worry about these things in a future state, whether you're a developer or a user. It's like you're inside of this ecosystem, optimism's broad ecosystem, and all these things are interoperating. Now, we have work to do to get there, right? Like that's the strategy and vision we will show over the next 12 months more and more work that demonstrates interoperability, but that is why you need to do it. So that kind of is why you need roll-ups and then why you have this conundrum of having so many of them and actually still solving for the issue at hand. But then you have this connection to Ethereum ecosystem. This is where the vast majority of users, liquidity developers are. I think it ultimately is like the settlement layer for everything that happens in, you know, Web3 and crypto. And now we're finally planning some of these things that allow Seamless interactivity and interconnection between them.
0: Okay, Ryan. So that's kind of how you interpret rollout switching. I'm curious how you see rollouts as well, given that, you know, Optimism is building this and you've been in it for so long.
2: Yeah. So Ethereum is extremely decentralized. And the reason why it is slow and really expensive is because you're waiting for a network of thousands and thousands of computers to all come to consensus on how to progress the state of the blockchain. You know, decentralization is on a spectrum. And what optimistic rollups do is they centralize one specific point, which is proposing what the next state of the blockchain should be. And so the analogy that I like to use with my non-crypto friends is, um, at a university. The most expensive time is the professor's time. So in this case, the professor might be Ethereum. Mm -hmm. And that's what you pay your big tuition dollars for. But professors often have hundreds and hundreds of students in their classes. And so they offload a lot of this to TAs, roll-ups. And if the TAs do something incorrect, then the students can go to the ultimate authority, the professor, and dispute sort of the results of an exam. You know, ultimately, the professor is the conflict resolution mechanism for this. And so... In our case, Ethereum is like the conflict resolution mechanism. You're only paying those professor dollars when you have a conflict that you want to resolve. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're relying on the TAs to be fast, cheap, and efficient. I love that. I love that analogy. I'm going to start using that. Nice.
0: Do you two think that it's better to have more layer twos out there or do you kind of want to become like the mega one and everyone else kind of gets washed out?
2: We definitely want to win. I don't know that it means everyone else gets washed out. I often you know, say to my team that the people who understand the best how difficult it is to do what we're doing is exactly everyone else who's trying to do the same thing. So we have an, like an incredible amount of respect for everyone who's trying to scale Ethereum and blockchains in general. We envision a world where everything is operating according to the same standard. And so today, it doesn't matter if you're using AWS or Azure or some other provider. The end experience for the consumer is the same. And I think that's where L2s should push also. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I have nothing to add. I think that's exactly right. I don't think in a future state, yes, you might have competing protocols for sure. But I do think it is in line kind of with what she said around cloud. And yeah, we definitely want to win. And we want to make sure that we're serving developers all across the stack, whether it's the app layer, the infrastructure layer, tooling. I mean, there's a lot of pieces that go into this that users might not obviously see on a day to day perspective. And that's good, right? Like in success, they shouldn't have to be worrying about a vast majority of these technical infrastructure things that we talk about. They dominate the conversations today because I think they are the most pressing issues. You really can't have a large developer and user ecosystem until you solve these underlying infrastructure problems. So it puts a lot of attention and eyeballs on L2s in general. But I think in success... The stories should really be about the developers that are building on top of this infrastructure. And so the day that we get away from talking about L2s, I think, is going to be a big day because now the story will be the great apps and experiences that are being built on top of the infrastructure.
0: Yeah. And I think we've come a long way from the beginning of optimism or even Ethereum's early days when, Jing, you talked about crypto kitties. You know, that was something that feels like forever ago. And now everything has evolved in a long turning process. There's new use cases, the infrastructure point that you touched on, Ryan. But how has optimism's kind of mission changed to focus on scaling and evolving with Ethereum and the ecosystem as a whole?
2: Um, it hasn't really changed, actually. Okay. We were Plasma Group before Optimism. We were working on a different scaling architecture called Plasma. It didn't support generalized smart contracts. So like you couldn't easily deploy Uniswap with the exact same code base that you have on Ethereum today. And it evolved into the design that is now known as an optimistic rollup. Mm-hmm. We've been working on the same thing since. 2017, even pre-2017, a lot of us were working on research. Carl and Ben at the Ethereum Foundation, myself as a grantee. And yeah, honestly, we've all been trying to solve the same problem for a long time.
0: Yeah. So like the mission is always scaling. It's not a matter of how long Ethereum's been around. Things don't change on that front. Like it's always going to be
1: held on that.
2: Yeah. I mean, it doesn't scale yet, so we still have a lot of work to do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, the mission's still there.
1: We have we have to complete the mission, I think, is where it's at, right? Mm-hmm. And there's some work to do there, for sure, for everybody, right? I mean, that's the beauty of it right now.
0: And I typically don't really cover hiring stories. And Ryan, obviously, you announced earlier this month that you have joined Optimism. And given your background, we've had you on the show before. I think there's a lot of interesting things to talk about here. First of all, what drew you to going to Optimism? And what will this role kind of look like for you? Like, what is a head of growth or chief growth officer. Sorry.
1: <laughs> I actually appreciate you even asking because I feel yeah. like I have to answer it like 6,000 times individually. And so this is actually great to do it.
0: Now you could just send them to the podcast to listen. Yeah, yeah. just
1: like, 100%. <laughs> a lot about optimism. So I think one thing in general with the tech, the beauty of everything being open source for the most partner ecosystem. There's like some caveats on some of that, but the spirit of it and the ethos of the, the ecosystem is very much open source that a lot of tech over time gets commoditized. That's the beauty of it. That's like a That's a good outcome. And so the tech team and Edge team, they're incredible, but like, I still, you know, I feel that belief. I think the beauty of what optimism has been able to do thus far with a really small team to date is start to paint a bigger picture of how all this stuff works together. Like how we can build this in unison, how we can be like one team that's trying to focus on the ecosystem. And that's what we call the optimism collective. It is many people that are contributing in optimism across many different facets you know you have things like retro pgf which is public funding that we're doing for projects and you have you know the ability to, to to put proposals in the house and get funding and you have people that are working on different parts of the stack and so there's something really beautiful about how they're thinking about true genuine decentralization from a governance perspective what that looks like i would say that is unique to any team like truly any team and they are really far ahead and that is just not something you can replicate. That is something that takes a lot of work. It takes a culture, it takes an ethos. I mean, it is not something you can just copy and paste. And so there's a lot of beauty in that. And I also think there's this opportunity, You know, I've learned a lot in just the two years I've been in the space, both what to do and what not to do. And I think kind of segueing into your second part of the question of, of growth, And I think optimism's best team in crypto because of these different things around governance. But now you think about growth and there's a lot of facets to it. And I think one missing piece is like how we continue to work with developers across the ecosystem. This is gonna get to be a bigger space. You don't want to build centralized teams, right, when doing this. That's like, it's very counter to what the mission is.
0: Yeah, look what happens. Your goal is to
1: (laughs) launch decentralized protocols, right, for the ecosystem to govern itself, for the developers across the ecosystem to contribute. And so I want to think about growth in a way of like, how do we all work together in one relationship to be able to do that, knowing that people, you know, maybe they're not a part of maybe the foundation or OP Labs, but they're inside of this optimism ecosystem that we call the collective. That's a very different way of scaling. You know, when I was at YouTube, the way that you think about scaling is got to hire a lot of people. You got to build these big mass centralized teams and success. And so the way that you think about everything building on a decentralized protocol is really different. Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to be a personally very rewarding opportunity for me to get to do that. The other thing, and the last comment I'll say on it is, Standing up decentralized blockchains and protocols is a moment in time. Like people will work on blockchains forever. They'll work towards network upgrades. They'll work to contributing in the stack in different ways. But being able to stand one up in the early days in its infancy is truly a moment in time that won't ever happen again. And so for me, I find like that to be, it's so precious knowing something is only going to be for so long. Now, whether that's four years, eight years, 10 years. Mm -hmm. I mean, anyone's guess. Like if one thing I'll stop doing in crypto is guessing because there's so many things that can happen that are outside our control. But it's for a moment in time and it's finite. That's for sure. And uh, I think it's really special. And I'm very um, humbled and fortunate to be a part of that.
0: I think in a, a weird analogy, and maybe you might not agree with this, but like with YouTube... YouTube became what it is because people would upload videos onto it. If nobody uploaded to it, it would be like another website that never succeeded. And similar with optimism, you know, you have developers who are building dApps with Optimism's technology. So on that front, how do you kind of see your previous roles, whether it's at YouTube or Polygon or just your your long-term gaming career, which I will talk about later on, play a role in your decision-making now?
1: Yeah, Polygon's more straightforward because it's kind of sits in an ecosystem of some of the same challenges. But where YouTube is really interesting is if you look way back in the day, hosting and uploading video content was really expensive. And so either the uploader, the creator, a user at that time would bear the cost or you would have these large like CDN infrastructure costs that go with it. And so even the acquisition of YouTube was pretty controversial for that reason. It's like really expensive business. Mm Infrastructure is really expensive, not easy to monetize. And so it's always going to be this like, you know, cash loss business for Google. And obviously that was a real bad take, you know, when you look a decade later. But that was the common take for Google when they acquired YouTube. You're gonna have all these issues with copyright, content ID, you're gonna get sued to oblivion for hosting these videos because you don't know how to monitor them and take them down. As you scale, you have no systems and mechanism to identify this content. You're gonna break safe harbor. I mean, literally everybody said every possible thing of why YouTube can't be a thing. And, you know, over the course of 10, 12, 13 years, YouTube obviously tackled just those challenges head on. And a big part of it was you got costs down to upload. You started to monetize that so it actually could be a cash positive business long term. You democratize video content upload that anybody anywhere around the world could be a creator, could upload. And so there's a ton of similarities actually to blockchain infrastructure and the developer ecosystem. I think it might not be obvious. I actually love that you brought it up because I don't think a lot of people see the obvious similarities. For me, it seems incredibly similar. Now, the thing that you have to think about fundamentally differently is the way that you do it. You know, like thinking about decentralization, thinking about governance, thinking about deferring to the community, you know, having some of that stuff, it can slow you down in a world where like YouTube allowed you to move quickly, but that slowing down is a positive thing for making sure that you have outcomes that best serve users and developers long-term, right? Like it's really important that those people have a voice at the table because they never have before. And that actually has created problems like at YouTube. You know, you have like RevShare, you can get your channel taken down, you can, you know, like passing policies and all of this. Like, it's really important to have governance and community. But yeah, I see a lot of similarities and that's actually what gets me excited because- when I was working on YouTube, I didn't make this bet like, oh, one day everybody's gonna watch gaming videos, like hundreds of millions of people are like, <laughs> but they one do. day, t- yeah. <laughs> you know, they're like creators are gonna be celebrities. Yeah. You, you, you don't make crazy bets like that. You just like chip away at the fundamental belief that this is like a good thing that's good for people and like let time dictate how big it is. It's, it's there was no point in doing that. It just happened to get that big as you chiseled away at it. I think we're going to see the same thing play out might take a longer time frame in this ecosystem, but I think we'll see the same thing play out.
0: Prior to Ryan joining Jing, you decided to have Optimism work with Base, which is Coinbase's blockchain base for context built on Optimism's tech, the OP stack. For those who are just like listening, like, what the heck is she talking about? I'm sure we could talk about this. But Jing, I want to know, how did Optimism decide to work with Coinbase's blockchain base? What does that kind of look like for you guys? And obviously that really, I think, kind of helped. Optimism was already on the map, but having this relationship with like one of the world's largest crypto exchanges is a pretty serious good thing, in my opinion. So I'm curious how that came about.
2: So... Previously, blockchains have been closer to like religious ecosystems where there's just one chain and it's one chain versus a second chain. And what Optimism's super chain vision is, is trying to get us closer to a world where chains are closer to containers for compute. I'm trying to meme the term containers, but my team says it's cringy. (laughs) In this world, ideally, There are as many chains as smart contracts and all these chains interoperate together in what we call the super chain. And the goal of this interoperability is for the end user not to care about what chain they're on. Today, it's very, very obvious what chain you're on because some chains have certain wallet integrations, some don't. There's a color, there's a token, there's a community and people Mm -hmm. very much sort of fly the banner of the chain that they're into. Whereas we want to get people to a place where it's really just the protocol developer or the application developer that's thinking about what they're using to scale the computational needs of their application and the end user doesn't know. And so base was our first step into this world where ideally in the future, there's applications that are so massive that they're probably running a 100 concurrent chains. But for now, the amounts of demand within the industry don't necessitate that. And so we have something that looks closer to one application per chain, like what Base has, like what Zora has. So that's really what the Coinbase chain is. It's one of these containers for compute in the broader sort of like optimism super chain. I mean, who wouldn't want to work with Base? They're super crypto savvy. I mean, they're like the perfect blend between like traditional Web2 applications serving the average end user who doesn't need to be a protocol expert in order to onboard onto the application. At the same time, the internal team, they're early crypto true believers who are super protocol savvy. The protocol engineering team is really sharp and we've just had a really easy time working with them, improving upon the stack and uh, building out the rest of the ecosystem.
0: Mm-hmm. So obviously, as you mentioned, BASE has seen a lot of adoption and growth since transitioning to Mainnet. Even before that, you know, developers were kind of trying to get in on this because, again, Coinbase name. And I'm sure there's other factors as well. I'm not a dev, so I'm not one to say. But what role does optimism have in growing that blockchain going forward? And how does like the growth play a role hand in hand together?
2: Yeah, it's like what a Shopify or an eBay has in terms of growing the businesses on their platform. We're a platform and Base is a humongous application on our platform. So we want to be able to scale to meet the demands of Base's builders and Base's users. We work on building out optimism governance so that participants in the platform, business on the platform genuinely do have a very concrete way to participate in the decisions that are made across the platform. Yeah, that's the role. Okay, Ryan, you have any thoughts on that as well?
1: No, I think like sometimes, you know, I always think depending on the audience who it is and like how technically savvy they are, and this might be a little bit of like a lazy web two one, but when you're thinking about if you're a developer and, you know, you have a hundred computers that have a hundred different operating systems, it's really hard. Now you're like, in order to get all of these computers, like these users, I have to develop a, a, my my app on a hundred different computers and operating systems is like not viable, right? So the goal is, you know, like you think about Windows, have all the software that's operating these blockchains be optimism. And then now the developers can just like focus on building since they're on it and everybody's on it. And what, what should we do is help facilitate all of that growth. So base, Zora whoever it is, right, whoever's building, and the developers on top of it let's let's like show them love, let's help that and and think about it holistically instead of so selfishly as, oh, uh, we have you know one l two that you should be building on like, it, we can think about all of these things as one and the same, which is beautiful, and it allows us to really help kind of the developer ecosystem really tackle some of the challenges that they have.
0: Mm -hmm. On that note about the developer ecosystem, how do you guys ensure or encourage devs to build with optimism? There's so many options out there for them. And then also, how do you kind of encourage them to stay driven and optimistic as we cycle through these bear and bull markets? Wherever we are standing right now, Who's to say?
1: Yeah, I think from a developer's perspective, it's quite an easy choice if you are focusing on it's Look, it's an Ethereum equivalent kind of stack right now. It makes it really easy. There's a lot of people inside of the ecosystem. There's big players like Coinbase participating. You want to be where the people are, where liquidity is, where users are. And so I think it's an easy choice to pick optimism today. And what we're doing should continue to make it an even easier choice. There are things and there's grants and programs and funding and developers need that. And there's nothing wrong with that. And optimism participates in that. And I think that's the beauty of all of these ecosystems helping one another. So I think that that can make it an easier choice as well. But that's how I think about that part of the question.
2: Yeah, I think also traditionally when developers have had to pick the chain they want to develop on, they've also had to inherit all of the UX pain points that come with that chain. And for example, an 18 step onboarding process simply to onboard into a layer two, regardless of what layer two it is, the end application developer has to inherit that. And so I think the way we keep builders staying optimistic is just reducing that those numbers of steps and continuously shipping features to make it so that as a application developer, you don't actually have to worry about the protocol that you're developing on top of.
1: Yeah, that's huge, honestly. Because if you think about talking to, like, like let's just say Web3 game team, and they get funded from A16Z Games Fund, and they go spin up to make a game, and there's 12 people, and all of a sudden, like, three or four of them now have to start focusing on, like, spinning up an L2. And now that, you know, 12 million that they raised, a couple million go to... It's a lot. ...doing that effort, right? All of a sudden, you're like, wait, aren't we supposed to be making a game? (laughs)
0: Eventually, yeah. And
1: so all of a sudden, <laughs> when that gets thrown out the window, that's what they can do. And mm-hmm. when they can do that, they will be able to find success versus you're juggling skill sets, backgrounds. All of a sudden, you have like a blockchain infra team, small team inside of your games team, and you're just trying to make a game, right? So it takes resources and things away from them where they shouldn't be focused. They should be focusing on making killer apps. We actually, success will be when we're not obsessing over this. Like I always make the joke of when you go by Call of Duty and you wanna go play, like you're not like, well, is it AWS or is it Google Cloud that I'm gonna be playing <laughs> on my multiplayer experience, right? And so that shouldn't be a, a topic, right? And behind the scenes with developers, yeah, but not for users. And so that's the vision we're, we're getting towards, which is great.
0: Awesome. We are going to take a quick break before we get into the rapid fire round. Okay, we are back. Now it's time for our rapid fire segment where I will ask Jing and Ryan some quick questions. Hopefully they give us some quick responses. Some of our guests are good at this, some aren't. So we'll (laughs) see. But to start, Jing, if you could use one word to describe optimism, what would it be?
2: (laughs) Optimistic. That's so bad.
0: Oh my gosh. Okay. Optimism is optimistic. I actually heard you say that about the devs before. Ryan, what's your answer? You got to give a different one. One word? Yeah.
1: Can I use two? The future? That bad? Future.
0: (laughs) <laughs>
1: yeah. incorrect sentence yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah okay you can only pick one thing Jing and Ryan scalability or speed
2: decentralization
1: <laughs> the remix I, look because you want one where answers scalability it's like an absolute must in order to take on an entire developer and user ecosystem
2: scalability okay. is speed though yeah there you go all right It was a
0: trick question, I guess. (laughs) Okay, Ryan, will there be a future collaboration between Optimism and YouTube?
1: No plans right now, but I love the YouTube fam and it's still close. So I don't want to say no or yes, maybe.
0: Okay, what would that look like though?
1: Oh, it could look like a lot of things. I mean, you could have creators, their memberships could be NFTs, like their channel level memberships. You could do videos as well in that regard. I mean, there's like a ton of stuff you could do with YouTube from an ecosystem perspective. So It's not my place to Mm -hmm. to talk about any of it. But, you know, that team has a Web3 team and YouTube is awesome. And so I'll just leave it at that.
0: Okay, Jing, yes or no. Do you see a future where other layer one blockchains see as much adoption as Ethereum? No. Okay, which layer one blockchain do you think has the most potential to compete with Ethereum? Bitcoin. Hmm. Ryan, do you
2: agree?
1: Yeah, I think that's a fair answer given where Bitcoin is right now. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, that's the end of the rapid fire. And that goes into my next question perfectly. Obviously, optimism focuses on scaling Ethereum and Ethereum has the most developer activity and L2 is building on top of it by like a landslide. Jing, you said you don't see a future where other blockchains see as much adoption as Ethereum. I'm curious what made you say that. And then also to both of you, why would it be Bitcoin if there's one to compete with it?
2: I think Bitcoin is the other blockchain that's the most lindy. It's a network effects platform, and the more users and the more liquidity you have on it, the harder it is to unseat that platform. And I think Ethereum has already reached escape velocity for network effects of developers, liquidity. I think it's here to stay.
1: Ryan? Well, I mean, I think of Bitcoin obviously is highly discussed as like a storage of value, right? So it's a little bit different than an Ethereum ecosystem that... With it scaling, it's like very friendly for developer applications. So yeah, I don't know. Does that answer your question? I mean, Ethereum, I just feel very strongly like will be the settlement layer for the internet on all things of value that doesn't mean that there's not a place for other ones. Like I I brought up Solana, like there might be a good reason to have alt L1s in a future state. But I think, I mean, I feel so strongly that a vast majority of the developers and users are going to be inside the Ethereum ecosystem full stop. And once you solve these like scaling conundrums, which, you know, people will have fun with for the next 12 months being a meme of like all these L2s, all these L2s. But once they're interop and they're talking with each other, that meme will be be kind of over very quickly and you'll have now solved that Ethereum is highly scalable and can be scaled in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. So-
0: Do you think a lot of these L1 blockchains or the people building on it in these ecosystems will eventually just migrate to Ethereum
2: then? I think most of them are already on Ethereum. If you looked at the sort of Venn diagram, you know, how many people on L1s are also deployed to Ethereum and vice versa? I would say it's a lot of just like, Mostly Ethereum developers or people who started on Ethereum branching out, trying out new things, taking a test drive of a net new ecosystem. But everything is still rooted in Ethereum where people go to deploy first, where people integrate first.
1: Yeah, I mean, even if you look as an example, like at Solana, Phantom supports the Ethereum ecosystem that was a Solana native wallet. Mm-hmm. Magic Eden went from Solana to Ethereum. So, like Jing's talking the other way, even like where they have, but it's also happened the reverse, right? So, I think all roads lead to Ethereum one way or another. I mean, it's where the users are. If you're a developer, you got to be where the users are, where everything is happening. And that's inside of the Ethereum ecosystem. And that's not changing. It's only getting bigger, right? And that's only growing. So there's no market share, you know, that's changing or disrupting the Ethereum ecosystem. Also, just look at the people, the capital, the resources inside of Ethereum, the entire ecosystem, Mm -hmm. all these L2s, these developers, where money's been deployed, VCs, token or otherwise. I mean, it's here, right? It's here. I mean, I, that is a tall, tall order if you're not on that side.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've been to the Ethereum conferences too. I see it firsthand. There's a lot of activity 24-7. Yeah. When it comes to adoption long-term for Ethereum, what does that look like to both of you?
1: What does long-term adoption of Ethereum look like?
0: So obviously we're at one point in the ecosystem's longevity or lifespan i should say yeah but when you're looking at it in the future what do you expect it to become
1: oh yeah no i honestly this kind of goes back to some of the themes that we've had optimism is going to solve the scaling conundrum right and so now all of a sudden these hard choices the developers have to make don't have to make them anymore that's like optimism is going to do that that's a fact so now developers can rely that they can go somewhere where this is no longer an issue and they can they can focus on what they want to build which is whatever app that they're building And then obviously, because of solving the scaling issue, Ethereum is the beneficiary of that as well, too, right? Because all roads lead to Ethereum at the end. And so for me, it's like very simple. It's like now you actually have this playground where it's easy to deploy all kind of apps, right? And people overthink this of like, oh, Web3 apps or blockchain apps. It's like you have any part of the stack in your company could be on chain. You could have a a Web2 game that puts their marketplace on a blockchain, right? It's a product feature of the internet. And so, yeah, I think once that happens, you're going to have this massive inflection point of all types of people building. And we're like, we over dramatize all of this conversation. It's just like, oh, yeah, I'm an app. This is what my app is. This is why it's a unique app. And this part or all of it is on blockchain. And we, we're we not going to have these conversations, right? So you're not going to be like, oh, it's a blockchain app. You're not like, oh, it's a, it uses Google Cloud. It uses cloud, you know, when you're talking about Call of Duty again, you know? So that's where we'll get. And all of that will be, Ethereum will be settling all of that that's happening, you know, at the end of the day. We, Optimism, the ecosystem will just help with settling that.
0: Mm-hmm. And on the front of this, what do you think are some of the main hurdles that still exist? Of course, there's scaling, there's the infrastructure, that. But outside of those main points, what are things that developers or people building in these ecosystems are still struggling with?
2: I think governance is a really important one to get right. It's one of those things where when everything's hunky-dory, you don't have to think about it. It's not a problem. It's like security. Like You don't have to think about security until you get hacked and you're like, wow, fuck, why didn't I think about security? Same thing (laughs) with governance. Governance constitutes part of the security of your system. How voting is done, how decisions are made, how upgrades are executed, different vectors for attack that exist in application also you know, how the system is governed is another one of those vectors. This is where Optimism has put a lot of its efforts. It's one of our major differentiators. I think it's why Coinbase chose us. Mm-hmm. We're not some, you know, plutocratic token voting system. We're genuinely trying to create a platform that uh closes the loop on incentives for how applications interact with the platform and how decisions are made across the platform. That's part of it. Awesome. And
0: I've got to ask this, Ryan, you are the gaming and growth guy now. How will Web3 Gaming play a role in optimism and Ethereum's adoption long term?
1: We just announced a partnership with a group called Lattice that's working on, you know, open source software, particularly for those that want to build fully on chain games. It's like very expensive to do that right now because of congestion and transaction costs. And so they've got a great solution for fully on chain games. So I think the infrastructure tooling layer is most important. It's the same themes that you've heard here where you've got to reduce the friction of what the core app is. So like you're just trying to make a game. If you are having to juggle all of these things, you know, across building of the stack and these congestions and these transaction costs, it's not, again, it takes away from it. So I think infrastructure and tooling is going to be really important to support, especially open source, where it's going to help the broader developer ecosystem. And I do think you're going to start getting to a point where like games, meaningful games can start to come on chain because of it. It's an order of operations thing in my mind. And the order of operations is build a playground where it is just incredibly friendly to developers to build on and let them do what they do best and be creative and make great games or make great apps and experiences. So that's the first order of business. And I think when we do that, then you can easily be the de facto blockchain for deploying games because it's so easy to do it makes like it's like a no-brainer decision to do so you'll see that first lattice is obviously great work that the team has done that's like honestly a brilliant team as well and so we'll just keep doing more of that and you will see us get into web3 games we will invest in gaming it's an important vertical i believe in the future of web3 gaming we're going to do it in our own way we're going to do it differently than others have done it and i'm excited to like continue to to work with the ecosystem and broader collective to do that
2: Agreed. To build on Ryan's point about tooling, I think one of the really important things that Optimism uniquely does is it rewards open source infrastructure and infrastructure that's created value. We have rounds of grants called retroactive public goods funding. The idea is it's easier to evaluate the impact of something in retrospect. And so we try to focus on open source software. A lot of things that people have built that have created enormous impact that haven't received reward. So impact equals reward is kind of the mantra that we go by. We've rewarded everything from block explorers to other for-profit companies that may just not be charging as much to open source libraries like Ketchak. So for open source developers that aren't necessarily trying to create paywalls to monetize, but want to contribute to a broader body of open source work and be rewarded for the impact, Optimism RetroPGF is a great place to set your sights on.
0: All right. Speaking of mantras, my last question for you two is, can you leave us with a piece of advice, perhaps something that you follow or use in your day-to-day life?
1: For me, particularly, is just trying to just stay always even keeled. I think this space is full of highs and lows that kind of come every single day and not being too reactionary to them is really important. And so the way for me to have stayed even keel in kind of all of these things is have conviction in a long term perspective that I anchor on because it allows like these exciting and rough seas to be much easier to navigate and much smoother. So that's been for me, whatever, that's been like the key advice for me to anchor around and has served me well, especially in my first year working in crypto with 3AC and Terra Luna <laughs> and FTX. So now I just feel like I can't be rocked now at this point. I'm just trying to stay cool as a cucumber. All
2: right. A lot of like people external to crypto who just see the biggest news pieces see a lot of scams. This also happened in 2017. And I think for critics of crypto or even Ethereum, it's easy to say, you know, Ethereum is fundamentally bad technology enabling bad things to happen. And then defenders of Ethereum will say, no, Ethereum is fundamentally good technology, but when wielded by bad people, bad things happen. And I think the reality is like, no technology is fundamentally good or bad. Technology is only as good as the people who wield it. And then the people who wield it are only as good as the incentive structures that they exist within. And so I think key to building out the crypto nirvana decentralization dream is building the incentive structures that we want people to participate within alongside the technology. So governance alongside the protocol as well.
0: Awesome. Jing, Ryan, thank you again for taking the time to join us today.
1: Yeah, this was fun. Thanks for having us back. We'll be back in a year to tell you uh, how we did on all this stuff that we outlined.
0: (laughs) Perfect. Looking forward to it. We'll be back next week with conversations around what's going on in the wild world of Web3 with top players in the crypto ecosystem. You can keep up with us on Spotify, Apple Music or your favorite pod platform and subscribe to our companion newsletter, also called Chain Reaction. Links to the newsletter and stories we talked about can be found in our show notes. And be sure to follow us at Chain underscore Reaction on Twitter. Chain Reaction is hosted by myself, Jacqueline Melanick, and produced by Maggie Stamets, with assistance from Yashad Kulkarni and editing by Kel. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator, and Henry Picavet manages TechCrunch audio products. Thanks for listening in. See you next time.